electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Are near session highs with the Nasdaq leading the pack. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome to Closing Bell, everyone. I'm Sarah Eisen. Here's where we stand in the market. A 1% gain, at least, for the S&P, for the Nasdaq, which, as I said, leading up 1.3%. The Dow is up a healthy three-quarters of a percent, 242 points, and small caps also rebound. The only sector lower right now in the S&P is energy. Technology is the best-performing sector. Materials, communication services, healthcare, oils, weaker. Bitcoin's at a three-week high. And treasuries are slumping again, sending yields higher. Here are my top takeaways on today's biggest stories. Is the economy really slowing down? It is the topic du jour on Wall Street. The widely followed Atlanta GDP tracker out today says expect only 0.9% growth in the first quarter. And that is a markdown from a week ago. We knew Omicron hit us in Q1, but it does make it harder to stage a full-fledged rebound for the rest of the year, especially with Fed hikes and high food and gas prices. A soft landing by the Fed is going to be tricky. The dramatic up and down moves in the market continue for stocks. So what comes next? Jim Cramer spotlighting some interesting technical analysis showing the S&P has successfully retraced 50% of its big decline. In the last 21 times that's happened since the Great Depression, it's meant the decline is over every single time. Do you believe in chart history? And the metric to watch this earnings season? Margins. That will show how companies are being squeezed on higher costs from commodities to labor and who can pass it on to consumers like Nike. Berenberg today cut forecast on consumer giants Kimberly Clark, Danone and Unilever says they are vulnerable to inflation hits and shrinking margins. Let's get straight to our top story. Stocks rallying while allies meet in Europe. President Biden speaking this afternoon in Brussels and the White House earlier announcing a new round of sanctions on Russian elites and corporations. Joining us now, CNBC senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche, live in Brussels with the president. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli and Bank of America head of global commodity research Francisco Blanche on the oil story. First, Kayla, we heard from President Biden. He wants to boot Russia from G20, wants to convey a sense of unity among NATO members. What did they accomplish at this meeting? Well, the U.S. this morning announced a series of new sanctions that essentially just put it in alignment with what Europe and the U.K. had already done. That is slapping sanctions on all 300 plus members of Russia's lawmaking body, the Duma, uh, sanctioning several state owned defense companies in Russia and also the G7 taking a coordinated action to keep Russia from being able to evade sanctions by having its central bank uh, pay for transactions in gold. That will now be banned. A senior administration official estimated that Russia had more than 100 billion dollars of its central bank reserves stored in gold. So that cuts off a very large source of potential funding funding for President Putin as this war becomes even more protracted. Just how protracted, Sarah? Well, at the press conference this afternoon, President Biden was asked about uh, the fact that sanctions so far have not deterred Putin. And Biden said that the alliance is not willing to change course in a few weeks, in a few months. He said that it will be important to sustain this level of sanctions for the better part 
part of this year, if not the entire year, uh, to make sure that they get the actions from Putin that they want. And that is a withdrawal from Ukraine and sovereignty there restored. Sarah. Yeah. And Francisco, the, the other message to come out of Brussels has been a threat to Putin or at least you know, strengthening the NATO alliance in case Putin uses biological, chemical or nuclear warfare. That is not a zero percent probability. How would the market react to any escalation like that? Well, look, I, th I think the uh, the oil market obviously would be uh, would be very uh, concerned upon that kind of escalation because um, the, the the threat of sanctions on energy could potentially materialize if if uh, uh, the conflict were to escalate. So I think I think that the direct consequence would be potentially uh, some some sanctions on energy, which, as you know, uh, Europe has been avoiding so far because of the risks to the European economy and European consumers. So what's priced into oil at this point? We're down three and a quarter percent, but still above one ten on the price of WTI. How long is the market expecting these Russian barrels to be? offline? And, and what does it expect as far as potential further sanctions? Well, I think, I think the market is pricing in a scenario, which is uh, our baseline scenario, the, what we call the, the bad scenario, that we'll probably lose about a million barrels a day of Russian supplies in, in, uh, throughout this year. Um, and, uh, and also, we're looking at potentially some relocation of, of Russian barrels away from Europe and, and the U.S. into India and China. Uh, that's what's been priced in. But I, I don't think the market is pricing in a major uh, disruption or, or beyond a million barrels a day. Uh, there are scenarios, which is our, our ugly scenario, that if uh, supplies were to drop by 4 million barrels a day from Russia, remember Russia exports about 8 million barrels a day in a 100 million barrel a day market, uh, we could see prices potentially rising by 6 to 75 dollars a barrel on top of the current levels, scratching $200 a barrel. Um, again, that would be a scenario where Europe uh, would be actively trying to block uh, Russian barrels uh, into their economy. Um, a difficult one to see, but, but one that could happen under an escalation in, of, of the war in, in the Ukraine. $200 per barrel, Mike. I mean, the, the possibilities here, is the, and, then, and we're up another 1% on the S&P. Is the market underestimating how long this could last and, and how much worse it could get? Because we've, what, we've now wiped away most of the, game, most of the losses yes. on the S&P since the war began. We're well up from when uh, the actual invasion took place. I don't know that the market's underestimating. I do know the market is not going to over-anticipate the move to $200 a barrel uh, unless the oil market actually shows a sign of getting there uh, soon. So I would look at today as, as a day when, of all the things the market is concerned with, it asks, are there fresh additional reasons to be worried today? Either on the situation in Ukraine, it seems like it's a very short-term equilibrium. Uh, on oil, it's pretty steady today. Yields aren't doing very much. Fed speak, we've already absorbed the message. So I just feel as if what we're left with is investors having felt a little bit offsides, a little bit underinvested with this huge surge that took place over six days. And so they go back and buy the leaders of 2021, which is the big tech stocks. It's pretty, it's pretty much happening independent of the, the geopolitical story, at least for today. I would also note that energy stocks are pretty much flat yeah. despite a 3% loss for oil. So holding up better than the commodity. Kayla, Mike, Francisco, thank you all for joining me. After the break, we'll talk to NYSE chair Sharon Bowen about her path to the top of the exchange and her outlook for the, large, the lagging IPO market this year. Dow's up about 248 points. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Another rebound day here on Wall Street. S&P is up 1% as we head into the close. Every sector higher, except for energy, which is sort of flattish. The Nasdaq in the lead once again up 1.5%. Joining us here at Post 9, the New York Stock Exchange, is the chair of the New York Stock Exchange, Sharon Bowen. She was a CFTC commissioner, spent three decades practicing business law, and is newly instated chairwoman. Welcome. Thank you so much or for should, having me. You should say welcome. To yes, me, welcome. Yes, welcome exchange. to my house. No. Um, you, you joined here as chair at a pretty volatile time in, in December. This war has broken out. There's been a ton of volatility. What, what has that been like, what, witnessing the markets yeah. now from, from this front row? So the good news is this market is, this, this exchange is built for volatility. And so I've been impressed with uh, the resiliency of the market. You know, you're right. We had most volatile days during the pandemic now with the, with the crisis in Ukraine. Um, and so the, the good news is our markets are doing what they're supposed to do. We're not having any IPOs, though. It's been a really long stretch, and it's been yes. very quiet. How, how do you bring companies back? Yeah. What is the big fear? Well, you know, 2019 and 2020 were pretty slow first quarters as well, and, and both of those years were record years for us. Um, you know, uncertain times, you know, means that companies will pause a bit before they come, you know, come to market. Um, but... The pipeline's really robust, and so I think it's just more of a question of timing, um, you know, not just the war, but also uncertainty around interest rates, inflation. Um, that kind of volatility makes people pause for a moment. I wonder if also the underperformance of the newly listed companies last year, we had so many go public, and they, they haven't done all that well, if that has held back the pipeline. Is that what you're hearing? I have not heard that, um, but, but you're right. There has been some sell-off, uh, particularly with some of the, the tech stocks. So the, I think today some of them are rebounding. Um, and so I think the market sentiment really has a big effect on you know, whether the market is up or down. You, have, you are the first person of color, woman of color, to, to lead the New York Stock Exchange, chair the New York Stock Exchange. And I know it's something that you talk about and you promote diversity. How are you going to, in this role, promote that within public companies? Well, the good news is I, I get to combine my passion with the financial markets, with my passion with diversity, inclusion, and ESG. So one of the things I plan to do is to use my platform to help our listed companies um, along their ESG journeys. You know, not everyone is you know, at the same pathway. Um, the other way we're, we're helping is you know, we founded the New York Stock Exchange Advisory Board Council. And the purpose of that was to increase the number of women and diverse candidates who are board ready. And so 
we found that was the best solution for companies, particularly listed companies who are looking for diversity on their boards. What about what the NASDAQ is doing, which is instituting a law now that the SEC is backing where companies have to disclose gender and diversity of its board members and explain why if they don't have that? What, would the stock exchange, would the New York Stock Exchange go so far as to make a rule like that as well? Well, you know, today, 95 percent of our companies already have at least two women on their boards and 88 percent have more than 20 percent women on their boards. And so we found that our solutions-driven approach was a more appropriate way to address diversity. Um, although I do applaud you know, any, any type of activities that's going to promote diversity uh, in the financial markets. And on that note, too, you said you're focused on ESG. I was wondering what you were thinking of the SEC's new proposed rule that we got this week that would require companies to disclose carbon emissions of their operations. Right. Is that a step too far? To, to require that disclosure, or do you support it? Well, we obviously are taking a look at the proposal, and um, we have a good relationship with the SEC. And I, I personally look forward to working with the commission and uh, with our issuers uh, and market participants. Uh, there will be a, a two-month comment period, at least two months. And that's what's you know, great about our markets, is we get the, the opportunity to hear from different people and different viewpoints. And I'm pretty sure we'll hear from different people on this subject as well. But do you worry that, that a rules-based approach like this could dissuade companies from going public and increase their costs? You know, I think we have to see how this process works out. I mean, again, I, I think that's the whole purpose of having a public and comment period um, is to weigh the pros and cons. And, you know, as a former regulator, I always welcome collaboration and getting insights from those who would be affected. And so I, I'm really excited about the process, that it will work. And I'm sure we'll get all kinds of input from, from the investing public as well. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, I noticed the, the Russian stock market, the exchange opened today, sort of, for the first time in weeks, and, and actually went up. But they have bans on short selling and all sorts of limits from, for selling. How does an exchange like that get back to any sort of normal? Is it possible? You know, I, that's a really hard question, really, to kind of answer um, in that sense. I mean, I know here we did halt um, the three Russian-listed stocks, and we have a regulatory oversight ability to kind of look at the markets, but it's, it's kind of hard to gauge um, you know, what that really means. Is there a threshold that you could bring back those, the Russian-listed stocks here at the exchange? Well, we just, halted, we just halted the trading. And again, market regulation, which is you know, independent, We'll take a look at the facts and circumstances at, you know, at the time to, to make that decision. Understood. Sharon, thank you. It was good to talk to you. Thank you so much Sharon for having me. Chair of the New York Stock Exchange. Give you a check of the markets here. We are moving higher. 271 on the Dow near session highs right now. S&P, a nice 1.1%. Again, technology is in the lead. It's up more than 2%. Materials also going strong. So you've got a mix of, of, sort of tech cyclical sectors. The banks are doing a little bit better today, up half a percent. Yields are rising again today. NASDAQ up one and a half percent. BlackRock's Larry Fink warning the war in Ukraine is ushering in the end of globalization. But that call might be a little late. Mike Santoli with a chart to explain why next. And check out some of today's top search tickers on CNBC.com. Ten-year yield back on top where it usually is. Prices go down, yields go up. NVIDIA rising again on the back of its investor day. Look at that, a 9.3% rise. Tesla holds its gains from earlier in the week, up another 1% or so. The Moscow exchange, as I mentioned, finishing higher today. 
Although a lot of people think that's a charade. And Nicola announcing production up three and a half percent. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Building on the gains, up 306 on the Dow. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink saying today the Russia-Ukraine war has put an end to globalization in a letter to shareholders. Mike Santoli taking a closer look at why that call, Mike, might be a little late. What it are you seems, watching? Well, it seems like deglobalization has been a theme for a little bit, a little while. And this proxy for globalization, which is the amount of global trade relative to global GDP, it peaked before the global financial crisis right here, 07, 08. Then, of course, you had the Trump trade war and you had COVID. So all of these things, I think, built upon this idea that we might have seen the peak in this, you know, outsourcing, uh, arbitraging low labor costs around the world, looking to import things as opposed to making them domestically. So it's fair to argue that the Ukraine war and the commodity disruptions and all the supply chain stuff is accelerating that process and maybe is a more definitive end. But I, I don't think necessarily the markets are uh, caught blindsided by this idea. Well, no, it's, it's just highlighted. First COVID, now this. Yeah. How dependent we are on places like Russia and Ukraine and yeah. China for supply chain. I guess my question is, what are the implications for global growth? Right. If we are because globalization was considered a boon for growth. Right. It was a boon for growth. It was a force for disinflation around the world uh, and arguably productivity or at least efficiency in corporate operations. So right now it's more about, you know, secure your own supplies, do things domestically, maybe pay wages, uh, pay higher wages uh, and essentially have redundancy in the system as opposed to relying on faraway suppliers to uh, to meet your needs. Take time. Yeah. Like some like time building semiconductor plants yeah. here. Up next, Mike, thanks. Bernstein's Tony Sakanagi weighs in on a report that Apple is developing an iPhone hardware subscription service. How that could impact the stock. When Closing Bell comes back, session highs on the markets. said to be considering a subscription service for its iPhones and other hardware products. That's according to a new report. This would be a further push into automatically recurring sales for the company. Joining us now is Tony Saganagi, Bernstein Senior Analyst, covers Apple. Tony, 
Vintage 2016, Tony Saganagi note writes about Apple doing, I think, hardware subscriptions, a la Netflix and Spotify. Here it is. We dug it up. Apple as a service. So, so they're finally listening to you, maybe, according to a report. What would it mean for this company? Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Sarah. Look, I, I, you know, back in 2016, Apple was trading at 11 times earnings, and, and the knock on it was that it was a hardware company, and it was cyclical. If you had a good iPhone cycle, things would be good. If you had a bad iPhone cycle, things wouldn't be good. And to the company's credit, they built up a number of subscription and recurring services and products over the ensuing um, you know, five or six years since then. And now the stock's trading at 26 times earnings, so, so good on them. The, the issue is, can they take this further? And Apple is still, there are still investors who worry that there is hardware cyclicality to this, to this company. 2019, 2020 were not great iPhone cycles. Last year, the iPhone 12 was great. So far this year, the iPhone 13 is pretty good. But, but clearly, there's a worry always that we could have a poor cycle and Apple's earnings could, could suffer. So if Apple were able to convince more people to have a subscription and basically say, you get an iPhone, we give you a new one every two years, you pay a fixed amount, maybe we throw in additional things like free Apple TV Plus or a discount on iCloud, um, I, I think that could go a long way to smoothing out the financial profile of the company. And that's something that investors love, uh, more predictability and more consistency in terms of revenues and profits. So it would cause you to rethink your rating on the stock? I think you're at a market perform. Where are you? Around, around 170, where we are right now? Correct. So, look, we, we've talked in the past about how we would view a widespread and successful services offering as being something that could meaningfully boost the multiple of Apple. And so we would certainly view that positively. You know, the key questions, of course, are, how broad can this offering be? I think when we when we thought about it in the past, the question is, could Apple put together a really attractive bundle of a number of different things for a whole household? You know, households are used to paying 100 to $200 for cable service per month or paying $200, 100 to $200 for internet access per month. You know, could Apple put together a bundle where maybe there's a Mac and there's an iPad and there's an iPhone and there's iCloud, and there's Apple TV+, and there's Apple Music. And I think the more that Apple could put into that bundle, much like Amazon Prime does in terms of not only providing two-day free shipping, but obviously having access to video and music, I think the more extensive and more compelling that bundle could be, the more attractive it would be. So the devil's in the detail. We'll see ultimately what Apple does. But if they are able to successfully engage more people in a subscription-type model, that's very good for the stock. That's very good for the multiple, potentially. We've seen that in so many other stocks that as soon as they go to a subscription model and recurring revenue, it changes the whole multiple. Tony, are you surprised to see how resilient Apple's stock has been? It, it's, it's up now, I think, eight days in a row. It's at a five-week high. It's outperformed pretty much all of FANG and, and the NASDAQ lately, given some of the concerns around supply chain with Shenzhen and a COVID lockdown and demand from China and, and everywhere else globally right now with inflation. Right. Great question, Sarah. Look, I, I think those are all considerations. But at the same time, 
more data is emerging that Apple is having a pretty good iPhone cycle, that supply chain, while still a factor, is less of a factor than it has been uh, over the last two quarters. And in times of uncertainty, people move towards stock, stocks where they have good visibility and when they have attractive cash flow, and, and Apple fits that bill to a T. So it, it is an attractive, you know, in many investors' eyes, an attractive stock at this current time. I think the big question ultimately is, Apple is riding high. It had an incredible year last year. Operating profit dollars went from you know, $68 billion to $110 billion, an enormous, enormous increase. And so the question is, did they effectively pull forward demand over ensuing years, and can they keep it up for the next couple of years? But for right now, they're, they're executing very well, and data points generally around the iPhone cycle are good. Up another almost 2% today. Tony Saganagi, thank you for joining us. Thanks Adding for about 19 me. points to the Dow. Here's where we stand overall in the markets. We are near session highs as we head into the close. The Dow is up almost a full percent, 317 points. The only stocks lower are Nike, Home Depot, Chevron, and Cisco. Every sector in the S&P 500 is higher right now. Technology leads the charge. Hence, the Nasdaq's now almost 1.7 percent gain. Wall Street is buzzing about Uber, turning some foes into friends. And the stock is popping on that news. Details next. And as we had a break, check out... Fertilizer stocks, Mosaic and CF Industries hitting multi-year highs again today. Every single day, these stocks hit new highs. Russia is the world's top fertilizer exporter, accounting for 23% of ammonia exports, 14% of urea exports, 10% of phosphate exports, and 21% of potash exports, all going into fertilizer. Prices are skyrocketing, and those companies are feeling the impact. We'll be right back. What's Wall Street buzzing about today? Uber teaming up with a bitter rival, New York City Taxis. It's a new agreement to list taxis on its app. Uber expects to launch this new offering later this spring. And under the deal, taxi drivers would get the same fare as Uber drivers. And while there are still some questions about the pay structure, the move stands to benefit Uber in a big way. Last year, the company acquired a taxi-hailing app in Hong Kong. And according to Uber's global mobility chief, 35% of people who started using the app to hail taxis went on to use other Uber products like food delivery. It's also a creative way around the labor shortage as the company just added a big number of drivers to its fleet. Let's hope it also moderates the sky-high fares that we as consumers are seeing. Uber shares are up on the news. Coming up, NVIDIA shares surging to the top of the S&P 500 today at more than 9% and more than 30% since last Monday. We'll talk to a top analyst about what's pushing it higher. That story and more next in the Market Zone. And a reminder, we have a podcast. You can listen to Closing Bell on the go by following the Closing Bell podcast on your favorite app. The Dow is up just about 300 points. We are near session highs. Closing Bell back in a moment. Twenty minutes until the close. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, Cowan's Matt Ramsey on today's big chip rally, a standout. BDA Capital Partners Barbara Duran on the oversold tech names she is buying. But first up, look at this rebound. A big sell-off yesterday, and now 
We're climbing back again, currently near session highs, gaining steam in this final hour of trade. Back to that old pattern, Mike. And energy is now higher, which means every sector in the market is higher. Some of the other standouts, I mentioned the chips and technology, software names, materials, basically anything tied to commodities except for oil. So steel, Nucor, a lot of the steel names higher today. Freeport McMoran, I mentioned the fertilizers as well. What is the narrative, given we're seeing yields continuing to rise and inflation and Fed concerns continuing to be out there? Yeah, I would say yields continuing to rise, but really modestly today and not too new highs. So we're still in the range. Today's action in the S&P 500 almost exactly just retaking what was lost yesterday. The message to me is markets on firmer footing, a lot less volatile day to day. Last week's uh, options expiration on Friday cleared away a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the overhang, I think, that was causing some of the jumpiness day to day. And of course, once you've had a, an 8, 10 percent rebound off the low, the market is going to be a little bit less twitchy. And I think we're benefiting from that. And people are able to wade back in and say what stocks are still down a lot from their highs where the fundamental story hasn't changed very much. So you mentioned the chips, a lot of the other technology leaders in there. Apple's up another you know, percent or two. So all that stuff seems to be more about people. People working under the assumption that maybe the market's fever has broken for now, in which case, you know, we're still down six or seven percent from the highs, but seemingly, you know, not as uh, slippery underfoot. Just want to rip up the script for a minute and hit the pot stocks, because just in the last few minutes, they've taken a leg higher, looking at names like Tilray, Aurora, the, the cannabis ETF shooting up just in the last few moments. Some potential news out of Washington, Mike. Is that what's moving these names? What have you heard? It seems in the afternoon, yes. Headlines about the House potentially taking up uh, a proposal to you know, decriminalize uh, marijuana. So th- this has been the story for a very, very long time. Everybody just focused intently in this area on the prospects for some action at the national level. Now, nobody's, I don't think, saying that there's somehow a clear path uh, to a national legalization or, or market opening up there. But would point out, if you look at a horribly. one-year chart, exactly, of the MJ ETF, it looks just like ARC. It looks just like sports betting. It looks just like solar. It looks like a lot of the thematic kind of buzzy groups in the market that really got uh, wild to the upside in early 2021 and then have had a major uh, come up. And so it's coming from a depressed base. Well, we mentioned the chips. NVIDIA is now the best performer in the S&P 500. Check out the Vanek Semiconductor ETF, SMH, up about 4% on the back of strong performances from not just NVIDIA, but AMD. Intel is up more than 6% today. Let's bring in Cowan Semiconductor Analyst Matt Ramsey. Matt, did these names just get beat, beat up too hard? No, Sarah, thanks for having me on. I think it, it is um, kind of interesting to look at. At the beginning of last week, we did a bunch of analysis and some of the best companies that we cover. You mentioned a few, NVIDIA, AMD, Marvell, Monolithic Power. Those groups since Thanksgiving down about 30%, while the earnings estimates for the out year went up about 10 So we had basically the top companies in growth semis cut in half from a valuation perspective. And I think that's part of, of what we're seeing now is that um, we had some events from NVIDIA earlier in the week to talk about their long-term growth profile. I think investors realizing it. The long-term growth stories haven't really been dented here, but the valuation certainly had been. NVIDIA, with a move today at more than 9%, is that a, you think it's a delayed reaction to the investor day? What did we learn? What was the big takeaway? Yeah, I think the, the, the big three takeaways uh, that, that our team had from the investor day were, one, the really strong hardware position NVIDIA is in. They launched their new um, Hopper GPU, which is important for all across their businesses, particularly data center 
Um, they gave us some hints at expanding not just to GPUs, but into the, the CPU market with ARM-based CPUs to um, DPUs, which come from their Mellanox acquisition and offering a much, much broader and more diverse set of services to their, to their data center customers. And the biggest point from the analyst day, they laid out a trillion dollar TAM, which um, take with a grain of salt, but um, Total a, third of it, a third of it was software. And investors really wanted to hear the early innings of their software strategy that they can think they can monetize over the coming decades across um, services into the car in their drive platform, um, the Omniverse into their simulation platform, a bunch of enterprise software features, and GeForce Now for over-the-air streaming gaming services. That's a couple hundred million dollars in revenue for NVIDIA today. We forecast it out to, to some really strong growth, uh, maybe up to a uh, 20% of the company. $30 billion business at the end of the decade. So we got some some breadcrumbs to start modeling a, a software business that can be margin accretive and much more sustainable um, long-term for NVIDIA that's leading in the hardware AI space today. So so given the, the fact that it's getting into software and it's becoming more software-like, what, what kind of valuation does it deserve? It's trading about 50 times next year's earnings, which, which is higher than some of the other competitors like an AMD, which, is all, which have also done well. What sort of premium valuation does NVIDIA deserve? And is it, is it your favorite pick? It is our top pick as of last week. I mean, the stocks moved 30% in, I think, eight trading days. So uh, we're kind of always reevaluating this stuff. But yeah, it is our, it is our top pick currently. AMD and Monolithic Power are the other two in our, our list of three. And I think um, as you, we modeled business out to 25% earnings growth, give or take, through the end of the decade, driven by uh, all of their businesses. And I think um, the market's assigning the valuation of a company that can take earnings up from 550 or so today towards 30 bucks in earnings by the end of the decade and um, pricing in more of a compounder than something just on near-term earnings power. But there's going to be a material premium assigned to the company, and I think they've earned it. Well, they're all working today, but NVIDIA is up 9.5%. Number two is Intel, up 6.6%. And then Monolithic Power, your other favorite, up 6.5%. Matt Ramsey, thank you, from Cowan. Lots of news to hit in the EV space today. Nikola's share is seeing a pop on news. It started production on its commercial truck this week. Remember, it had previously expected to begin full production in the second quarter. Mizuho cutting its price target on Rivian to $95 from $100, saying it could see significant manufacturing headwinds that would impact production ramps. And NIO gearing up to report Q4 results after the bell. Wall Street analysts are expecting the Chinese automaker to post a loss. Let's bring in Phil LeBeau to digest all these headlines. And Phil, these stocks have had a pretty rough start to the year. What are the analysts saying? Have they hit bottom? I think it's too soon, Sarah, to say that it's a definitive bottom, primarily because the supply chain, especially when it comes to things like semiconductors, that's going to remain under pressure for some time. So there's not a lot of certainty there. And remember, when it comes to the EV stocks, there are a lot of questions that will be lingering this year about the supply and the pricing of raw materials that go into making battery cells and battery packs. So encouraging news today, no doubt, but still too early to say it's a definitive bottom. Mike, what do, you, what do you see in Tesla's chart, which is, which is rising again and holding its gain? It also outperformed yesterday in a down market. I mean, you're seeing some of the kind of adrenaline stocks start to move again. I see that's part of it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Tesla has, you know, some good cover stories going forward, obviously, uh, when it seems like the proposition for owning an EV looks a little bit incrementally better relative to internal combustion, given where fuel prices are. But it's always 
kind of a, it's, it's, it's amusing that Tesla can get a bump when it says it's going to build a plant in Germany, then it builds a plant in Germany, it breaks ground, then it says we're about to start producing cars, then one rolls off the line. They get credit each time. Uh, and that just shows you that the big picture story is still in control. And the stock did not really go down to serious lows. It's bottomed twice in the 700s. And so it seems like it's more game on as opposed to people having a, you know, particularly fine-tuned projection on exactly where its market share is going in the next year or two. Phil, where does Tesla stand uh, versus the competition? Some of the smaller ones like a, like a Nikola, which we mentioned, or Rivian, or, or some of the Ford and GMs when it comes to accessing the materials and the battery materials that it needs to make these cars and meet demand. Right. They're far ahead of the competition when it comes to the supply chain. And they've shown that. Look at what happened when the supply chain was stressed because of semiconductors. It hit the others much faster than it hit Tesla because they were very nimble and they made the adjustments there. And when you talk with people in the industry about the EV supply chain, Tesla is ranked almost always near the top in terms of having it under control better than others. Phil Abo, Phil, thank you. Want to point out Beyond Meat. It's been volatile in today's session. A pair of headlines moving this stock first. The company announced it has partnered with the Chinese company, Pinduoduo, to launch an online store on the Chinese e-commerce giant's grocery platform. Beyond Meat had previously made deals with JD.com and Chinese e-retailer Tmall as demand for vegan goods in China grows. And then separately, Beyond Meat stock was under pressure earlier after BTIG put out a note saying channel checks it's been doing indicate the sales of the McPlant Beyond offering at McDonald's have underperformed what franchisees were expecting. Mike, the stock is actually a pretty ugly chart if, if you zoom out and look over the last few years. And there's some real questions about whether it's been a fad. Yeah. You know, because everything in grocery worked so well during COVID. And now that we're coming out, a lot of those food sales are, are still elevated. Beyond meat, not so much. No. And whether or not the plant-based meat uh, substitutes are a fad, probably not. I mean, I think that that's always going to be uh, an item in every you know uh, grocery case. The issue is the stock, which traded above $230 at one point, you know, two and a half years ago, had almost all, like I said at the time, all the enthusiasm for the entire sector was running through this one ticker because there weren't other options as a pure play. And then there's been a, just a series of, well, maybe they can't figure out production. Their costs are going up, even as those for animal protein are going up. And it's just not that much of a kind of immediate uh, gratification of, of sales growth and, and a path toward real profitable sales growth, I think. So that's been the issue. It, it isn't necessarily people have you know tried it and turned away from it. It's that it got too much credit initially for how big it was going to become. It's now about 25 percent this year. They, they did get a pop earlier when they announced the new jerky product, which was the joint venture between Pepsi and beyond me, a lot of expectations for this. So I, I wonder, we're, we're past the point, Mike, where they're rallying off of the news. And it, it feels like, you know, we were at a point where every time they made a deal with a big CPG company or a restaurant, the stock rallied. Now it's really the proof of how, how these partnerships are going in terms of sales, because I know there was reports about Duncan being underwhelming and now this McDonald. I, I feel like we've gotten point, past the headline excitement. Right. I mean, the, the company has done really not, nothing but a, a constant stream of marketing partnerships and, and announcements. And like, what is it? A, you know, it's still a few billion dollar market cap. It's not like it's some, you know, tiny, insignificant 
company. But uh, yeah, you need to see results. And people get tired of, of waiting. It's three years as a public company uh, at this point. And, you know, we've moved on to, uh, you know, to other kind of buzzy sounding consumer products. Stocks, I just want to point out our at session highs. We continue to build on the gains throughout this final hour of trade. Let's bring in Barbara Duran. She is CIO at BD8 Capital Partners. And Barb, you've been adding to some beaten down tech positions. Tell us what you've been buying. Yeah, Sarah, thanks. I've been I've been adding actually since February. Um, we know the reasons for the sell-off. Things were oversold. Um, you had people worried about the Ukraine situation, inflation, when is peak inflation, what the Fed is doing. And of course, since the Fed eased, we've been moving in. But when you look at the individual names, you had Amazon, um, Microsoft, um, Alphabet, NVIDIA was just talked about. NVIDIA was down almost 30 percent. And these other names were down in the high teens. And yes, it was a P.E. revaluation because we all know that forward earnings get discounted when interest rates go up. But it was way overdone. And these are great names with each one has an individual story, but they go into big, growing secular markets. And that has not changed. So to me, these were ideal opportunities to add, particularly NVIDIA, which, you know, it's uh, you've seen what's happened since it's back actually beyond its it's uh, the start of the year high. But that is exactly why. And I also added um, a few um, reopening plays. And I had talked about Uber another time or booking holdings, which is an online travel play. Mm. And I also wanted a, a good defensive healthcare play, which is a core holding. But I wanted to add to it because that also is down almost 10 percent. And that's United Healthcare. And that is a solid core holding. You don't get many opportunities to add that cheaper than it, than it currently is. So, Barbara, are you not afraid of the Fed? Go, going all in on the inflation fight, potentially 50, 50 basis points of hikes at, at upcoming yeah. meetings, a, a hike at every meeting, the trimming of the balance sheet, all the things that it's planning to do, which could pressure growth and valuations. Yeah, well, you know what? I, it already It's already in the stocks, and we see how the market's behaving. This is well known. In fact, it was leading up to the Fed meeting where people thought the Fed has to raise rates, has to raise rates, and then they, then they announced that they were then the market started to take off. So I think this has been more than discounted in the stocks. You know, we've got six maybe hikes ahead. That could slow things down a little bit, although this is a bit different. In the past, consumers had a lot more debt and they were borrowing. They're not so much. They still have excess savings. I think where the difference could be, at least in the, for the short term, <clears throat> excuse me, is in housing. You know, because you've seen mortgage rates go up 100 bips, that could cause a little bit of a stutter step. And we've already seen that a bit in the refinancing, et cetera. But we should also remember there, there was a housing boom when mortgage rates, the 30 year was at 6%. So, you know, I think the consumer is going to keep spending and I think these companies are going to thrive. And we've seen this for the last couple of years. They, these names are great sources of profit taking and you rotate into other names. This time it's been energy. It's been metals. You know, so it's been the cybersecurity. So people have come back to fantastic long-term stories. Every sector higher now in the S&P 500. Technology in the lead, led by the chips. Materials doing very well, tied to commodities. Barb, you mentioned cybersecurity. Those stocks have held, held up well. I think that you're trimming your positions there, though. Why, why yes. now, just as, well, just as we're getting all sorts of threats from the White House that, that cyber attacks are coming from Russia? I know. You hate to trim and see it go up even higher, but frankly, it's just a risk management. I mean, I have owned Palo Alto as a core holding in, in uh, all my portfolios for some time, and it was getting to be a very high percentage in some portfolios. So that was why I thought this is a great time to trim because the stock, you know, will come back down to earth. I think, you know, we've got a little bit, maybe we can go higher, but it's a bit ahead of itself at this moment. So, you know, I'm, but I'm very content. I have uh, large core holdings in this.
but as it far will as not far, stay here. <clears throat> yes. I just want to hit it again because the Nasdaq 100 is zooming here. It's up 2%. It's still 12% off of its highs, but it, it has made up a lot of ground. Now down about 9.5% for the year. So the chart's looking a lot better. You, you mentioned you were buying some of the biggest market cap stocks, the FANG names. Anything else? Because some of these other tech names have been just slammed way harder than, than the mega caps down 30, 40, 50 percent off their highs. So w- would you go to anything beyond the biggest of the tech companies? Well, Sarah, the problem is, and, and as Mike mentioned earlier, about we seem to be getting maybe back into a little bit of the froth situation. But a lot of those names, you know, which I, I have owned and bought badly, like the DocuSigns of the world, have great businesses, you know, but it's really a question of valuation. And a lot of those smaller names aren't yet profitable. So, you know, it's on it's actually on my list to really look, take a hard look at those names. But it's been tough in this market to have these smaller names that maybe aren't as profitable and don't have as long a runway of uh, performance. Yeah. Proxy for that arc innovation. It's up about seven tenths. So it's underperforming broader market today. Barbara Duran, thank you. It's always good to hear what you're up to in your portfolio. Less than two minutes to go here in the trading day. Mike, what do you see in the internals? They're pretty strong, Sarah. About two to one advancing to declining volume in the New York Stock Exchange, which is absolutely solid, although slightly underperforming the magnitude of the index gain, which is now almost 1.4% on the S&P. That's because mega cap growth is outperforming and uh, flattering the indexes a bit. Uh, Barb mentioned home builders. Take a look at the home builder index. No relief for that group today. Uh, we can talk about how the supply demand is going to be resilient uh, and how these guys are in good shape. But uh, higher rates is still having its effect and people not really confident they can finish as many homes as they can sell. So the underperforming commercial real estate, which is the real estate sector, the volatility index really playing along down another two points down to 21. It's a big, uh, very profound spike on that chart. So it is positive down toward 20. And we're talking about the normal range as we sit here, roughly five or so percent below the record highs in the indexes. It is is amazing that financial conditions are easing just as Jay Powell is trying to to tighten them. Take a look at where we are less than one minute to go before the close. A 1% gain on the Dow. We're talking 350 points. It's been a solid build throughout this final hour of trade. Who's contributing the most? Well, Barbara Durand's United Healthcare adding 70 points. Microsoft, McDonald's, and Apple all adding to the gains. S&P 500, every sector higher here as we go into the close. Up 1.4%. Technology is in the lead, up 2.7%. The chips taking center stage. Materials, communication services, healthcare, all doing well today. The NASDAQ going out with the biggest gain of the major averages. NASDAQ 100 up 2.2% on the close, and the NASDAQ up 2%. That does it for me on Closing Bell. Send it into overtime with Scott. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.